Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 246. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Explosions are everywhere. And this is an incredibly urgent, important time to stay vigilant. That's the sound of an American-made ATACMS, the Army Tactical Missile System, finally being fired by Ukrainian forces and hitting Russians inside Ukraine. And it's not the only major explosion the world has been watching. That's the sound of explosions at the Al-Alhali Hospital in Gaza City, which was originally blamed on Israel and is now likely to have been caused by Hamas. It feels like there are explosions happening all over the world. And it's true, because there are. But what's happened in Israel in the last couple of weeks is unparalleled. It's an especially big geopolitical explosion, and an especially serious one, that set off a series of other explosions across the region and around the world. It's been like a geopolitical Big Bang of our time. Everything is different now, and it feels like everything is exploding. What's happened to Israelis and continues to happen to hostages now is a massacre and brutality the likes of which we haven't really seen since maybe Bucha in Ukraine or since our own 9-11. And this, in many ways, is worse. This is Israel's 9-11. That was the title of an op-ed I wrote for MSNBC.com that I want to share with you now. This is Israel's 9-11. In 2019, I was honored to lead a group from Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America on a historic trip to Israel. We traveled all across the country. We toured military bases and historical sites and focused on spending time with Israeli vets and vets-focused programs. I have also visited with and learned from and become friends with Palestinians throughout the region. The threat that is Hamas must be neutralized. It threatens Israel, Palestinians, Americans, and the world. 
even if you're not normally a supporter of Israel, you must recognize and stand up now against Hamas and the culture of war crimes exposed by the recent violence. This is Israel's 9-11. We've already heard that often. And I was there in New York on 9-11 as a first responder myself. I taught a course on the history of 9-11 to undergraduates who weren't even born yet on that fateful day. And I've worked in support of 9-11 first responders and survivors ever since. But I believe what Israel has experienced and continues to experience is even worse than 9-11. 9-11 was indescribable. It still is. The surprise, the scope, the scale, the number of civilians and heroes murdered in an instant, and the carnage that only those of us who were up close saw and experienced. I saw gruesome images that will forever be burned into my heart, but it was not like this. All the bodies we found at Ground Zero were adults. And after the first few days of rescue operations, we switched to recovery. Anyone who made it out alive was safe, or at least safe from the immediate health risks. We've covered the long-term ones on this show at length. But there were no additional planes to watch for. We didn't have a stream of rockets raining down in Manhattan and Washington, D.C. But the terrorists that hit us in the United States on 9-11 did not kill and decapitate babies. They didn't rape hostages or drag kidnapped men, women, and children back across our borders. Even today, Hamas's brutal crimes are ongoing, elongating the suffering and the terror. After 9-11, America had to act. Now, Israel is in this same terrible position. And this is the exceptionally hard part. The decisions made now by Israel in the face of unimaginable pain and anger will determine the trajectory of our world forever. Hamas does not represent all Palestinians, just as the Taliban did not represent all people of Afghanistan. And that must be made clear. The challenge now for Israel, for the U.S., and for any other nation that stands with them is to carefully separate the two and eliminate the true enemy without making more. Israel must fight tenaciously to hold the moral high ground. IDF soldiers must abide by the Geneva Convention. Every military unit and every military member must limit civilian casualties. Israel and its allies have to demonstrate a mastery of strategic communication on a level rarely seen before Ukraine's recent dominance in the fight against Russia for global hearts and minds. And Israel cannot allow or encourage torture, something the U.S. struggled with tremendously and openly after 9-11. Doing otherwise would only encourage more young people in Gaza and around the world to take up arms against Israel, its allies, and Jews worldwide. Israel's military and political leaders must learn from America's mistakes. They can and must do better. There is no harder time to have discipline than in the face of atrocity. But that's when it's required the most. Personally, I'm committed to helping Israel do that in any way that I can. 
I know that other 9-11 survivors and Iraq and Afghanistan veterans are committed as well. Because there will be many more dark days ahead. But one day, like now in New York decades later, there can and will be light. Israel and the world can be stronger at the broken places, while always ensuring that the world never forgets. That is how we truly honor the dead, and that is how we defeat a detestable enemy. And that is our way forward, united against those who would and will do this kind of unforgivable brutality now and forever. We can and we must be better than Hamas. And this is the time to prove it. Explosions around the world seem not stop. Here at home, the same is true for political explosions. Barrage after barrage of explosions blowing up our politics and the good and basic functioning of our government. It's not led by rocket attacks, but by political attacks from radical political suicide bombers. Ideologues who want to blow it all up in support of their radical agenda. That's why we've had no Speaker of the House for the last two weeks and counting. I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. If you think the disgraceful January 6th apologist and insurrectionist supporter Congressman Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House, you are not focused on what's best for America. And Putin, Hamas, the American insurgency, and everyone else wishing America harm thanks you very much. And they would all also like to send a very special thank you to Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville, also known around here as Senator Redneck, the radical political suicide bomber of the Senate who doesn't care what he blows up in the furtherance of his extremist political agenda that welcomes white nationalists in the military, but not health care protection and equal rights for women warriors. And it hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped. And it's why he's everyone's favorite asshole. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going And in the midst of all this chaos, all these explosions, all this war that our American military now has to contend with, Tupperville's not stopping his hole. And he's gone even further. This week he tweeted, I didn't start this. The Biden administration injected politics into the military and imposed an unlawful abortion policy on the American taxpayers. I'm trying to get the politics out of the military. Yes, you did start this. It's you, only you, and entirely you, Senator Redneck. The only thing more shameful than you doing all this 
is your weak attempt to gaslight America about it. It's a radical, reckless, ridiculous attack on our military in a time of war. And everyone can see it. It's why you should resign. It's all plain to see. Not a single respected military leader or leader from either party supports Tuberville on his radical political crusade. Seven secretaries of defense from both parties have condemned it. But Putin, and now Hamas, love what he's doing. And our enemies are celebrating because it hurts our military at a time when explosions of all kinds are happening all around the world. Explosions are happening in Ukraine, in Israel, inside of our Congress politically, and even on our U.S. troops in Iraq. A reminder, we have U.S. troops in Iraq. You might have forgotten about that. But this week, U.S. CENTCOM reminded us when they sent out a press release entitled, U.S. Forces Defend Against Drones in Iraq. This was what it said. In the last 24 hours, the U.S. military defended against three drones near U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq. In western Iraq, U.S. forces engaged two drones, destroying one and damaging a second, resulting in minor injuries to coalition forces. Separately, in northern Iraq, U.S. forces engaged and destroyed a drone, resulting in no injuries or damage. We are continuing to assess the impacts to operations. In this moment of heightened alert, we are vigilantly monitoring the situation in Iraq and the region. We want to emphasize U.S. forces will defend U.S. and coalition forces against any threat. So, we have troops in Iraq, and they have been wounded. Most Americans don't even know we had them there, but we do. And we have U.S. forces in Israel, and in Syria, and all across the region. So keep them and their families in your thoughts right now. And learn more about where they are and what they're doing in the last episode of this show, Independent Americans, episode 245, with Washington Post Pentagon reporter Dan Lamoth. Because as we discussed with Dan in the last episode, from Ukraine to Israel to Taiwan, there is lots to keep on your radar. So as a new war unfolds in the Middle East and Israel faces their own 9-11, and we all hope they don't repeat the same mistakes we made here in America after 9-11, including the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. Taking out al-Qaeda and hunting bin Laden was one thing, but invading and attempting to control not one, but two countries, and one of them for 20 years, was something else entirely, and one of the greatest American overreaches of all time. And interestingly, right around now, America has finally realized it. A new poll shows that Republicans and Democrats agree that the Afghanistan war wasn't worth it. Just released this same week, polls suggest the withdrawal seen by most as chaotic and ill-planned, may have been a turning point for President Biden's approval ratings, which went on a downward slide after that time and haven't come back since. But two-thirds of Americans say the war in Afghanistan was not worth fighting. 
65% of Democrats and 63% of Republicans. That's pretty close to bipartisan. And buried deep inside the headline and the article, 21% of people polled were independent Americans. And they felt just about the same way. War is hell. But for America since 9-11, except for the less than one half of 1% of us who've served and for our families, most of America really didn't feel the hell of war. They really didn't hurt from war. Not like so many people in other parts of the world have and are right now. Every one of us, anywhere in the world, that lives in a place like New York or Washington or Cleveland or Miami or Tulsa, should imagine what it would be like to have rockets raining down over all of us tonight. To have explosions happening in our towns, in our cities, in our schools, in our homes. It's okay to be afraid, but it will never be the same. It will never be the same. Because that's what millions of Israelis, Palestinians, and Ukrainians are facing right now as you listen to my voice, including millions of children. Praying for peace in times like this is not enough. We have to work for it. And for now, we have to support the fights toward it. Hamas and Putin must be defeated. There is no peace until they both are destroyed. If they're not, the atrocities and the repression will never end. Just ask the Afghans living right now under the Taliban. That can never be allowed to happen in Ukraine or in Israel. So for now... We must support our brave allies in the fight and insist on precision, discipline, and protection of civilians from them in every way that we can. And never forget to imagine what it would be like and what we would do if we were them. If the rockets and the murders and the abductions and the atrocities were happening here in America. This is a time for thoughtfulness for strategy, and of course for vigilance. And by the time you hear this, President Biden will have addressed the nation, which is important and probably overdue. And his message is the right tone, but it's not enough. We have to emphasize to Israel and the world that it's easy to hit back hard when you're the big dog. The hard part and the important part is thinking through how to hit in a way that's most effective in a way that furthers your goals and doesn't come back to bite you later. Israel was created because people had tremendous vision. The idea of a state of Israel was mammoth. Now, Israel is facing its biggest strategic challenge since its creation. And it and its allies have to respond strategically, thoughtfully, even patiently, even with restraint. Because we learned you can't kill all the terrorists in the world. We saw that after our 9-11. 
you have to devise a strategy to reduce them, to neutralize their military capacity, and to defend against them. But also to stop making them, to give them alternatives to hate and violence. That's economic, social, personal, and even harder and more expensive than the fighting and the bomb dropping. But it's the way to true peace for Israel, for Jews around the world, for Palestinians and Muslims around the world, and for everyone else impacted, watching, and caught in the middle. And if we, especially in America, are going to learn the mistakes of 9-11, one of the biggest should be to give the public ways to help. That's clear in Ukraine and in Israel for the people there. But what about here in America? That's on the president. What does he recommend? What does he ask? What does he direct Americans to do now to help? We can spend another two decades just watching it on TV and social media and sending someone else's kids to war without interrupting our lives beyond taking off our shoes at the airports. Americans are not great at focus and patience, but we are pretty good at action. And that action needs to be channeled now, creatively, holistically, for every American. Maybe supporting our own troops in harm's way and likely to be more in harm's way, which of course will in and of itself divide some Americans who may still not support Israel. Maybe it's just naming a charity and rallying a new sense of spirit around the civilians and kids impacted. Maybe it's a commitment to protecting and respecting all people. This is a moment again where America can help, where America can lead. But Mr. President, you need to tell us now how. You are the commander-in-chief. It's time to take the lead. And in the meantime, a generation of Americans have done pretty much nothing since 9-11. It's true. we got to admit it. Many have been watching history unfold from their couches and from behind their screens. There are, of course, action points around elections, school shootings, Roe v. Wade, natural disasters. But this is different. It's overseas. It's foreign policy. It's far away, but it impacts us here. And with nukes in play, the stakes have never been higher. Much higher than in Vietnam or Kosovo or the first Gulf War. And until we decided to make it so, higher than Afghanistan and Iraq. So ask yourself, what have I done? What will I do now? Will I watch history unfold on social media and TV, or will I be a part of shaping it? What do you say? Will you answer the call? Because stakes have never been higher. Stakes is high, people, in Israel, in America, in Taiwan, and the explosions of the military and political kind are happening constantly, with new ones, it seems, every single day. But not all the explosions happening are bad, especially for the fight in Ukraine this week. 
Because as you heard earlier, MGM-140 Army Tactical Missile Systems, Attackums, are finally in Ukraine, and they're taking out Russian assets. It's the latest in a long and escalating list of weapons Ukraine has asked for from the U.S., and we've delivered. Let's go way, way back. It started with Stingers and Javelins. Then it was M270 MLRS systems, multiple launch rocket systems. Then it was Abrams tanks, lots of ammo, Patriot missiles, F-16s. And now it's Attackums. And they are finally in the fight, with American Abrams tanks coming any day too. This terrible new war in Israel will distract and divert U.S. support from Ukraine immediately. But it shouldn't. The U.S. should be able to do both. But unfortunately, it will distract. And our dysfunctional Congress and media both have great difficulty focusing on more than one thing at the same time. And Putin loves that. But America's got to double down on our allies globally right now. This is the time to stand strong with all our friends worldwide. And to say it and show it. That will be expensive. And it will be hard. But it is necessary for global security and for our own. I think it was bullshit when they often said it after 9-11. But it may be true now. We have to fight them over there. So we don't have to fight them over here. Now, some extremist politicians in America will tell you that America has to choose now between supporting Israel and supporting Ukraine. We do not. We can and we must do both and support any other allies of America who stand in the face of terrorism and oppression and tyranny in a time of war, including, if necessary one day soon, Taiwan. Americans don't really understand the extent of what's going to be needed to support two allies in two wars at the same time, maybe three. But among other things, Biden must explain that. It can't be either or. Both are necessary. And Putin is hoping we can't make it happen. But America is built for this, and we can rise to this moment. It's once again time to show it. As generations of Americans have before us, we got to lead with clarity, dexterity, and purpose, especially from the White House. No matter how you feel about him or you felt about his speech, this is a pivotal time for our president to step up and lead, and we should all be rooting for him to do that and simultaneously seeking ways to do our own part. Because we can't just hold our breath and wait for others to lead or sit on the sidelines and watch on social media. We're all in this together, globally, more and more by the day. This is not a one-day thing because explosions are our new normal. On the day wake up needing somebody and It's okay to be afraid, but it will never
And that includes when it comes to our politics at home, where the explosions are daily, blowing apart our government's ability to function, its ability to simply not shut down, and leaving us with no Speaker of the House for over two weeks, leaving us with a paralyzed Congress that can't pass funding for Ukraine, and leaving America too slow, too divided, too paralyzed to respond in a way that has our enemies celebrating. Because even in a time of war, even with the explosions happening everywhere, the great fragmentation of American politics continues. And in addition to the radicals blowing up our Congress, there's also a presidential race underway that will determine the future of all this. And there have been some developments there now that especially impact independent Americans. RFK Jr. is going to run as an independent. He announced it last week. You might have missed it. But Kennedy is just the latest opportunistic politician to give independence a bad name. He's not a true independent. He's just the latest in a long line of weak politicians scraping for relevance who've run under the banner of being quote-unquote independent. He's just another opportunistic jersey changer. And last week, Cornell West joined him. The liberal academic and presidential candidate said he's also running as an independent, abandoning his efforts to secure the Green Party's nomination. Now, there's a big difference between being a true independent and being a candidate that no other organization or group will take. The test of a true independent candidate is how many independents follow him or her. And I don't expect many of us to follow or support either of those guys. We are 49% of voters, and we want better than that guy or the other guy who just became an independent in the last two weeks. If you want to see a real independent, check out Colorado Springs Mayor Yemi Mobilati. I talked to him in episode 228 of this show. Kennedy is the past. West is the past. Mobilati is the future. But the past continues to dominate in a world where ancient legislators rule the day. You may have forgotten that Dianne Feinstein died a few weeks ago at the age of 90. Now, she was a true trailblazer. And the latest of many older politicians from both parties that will likely pass in the next year or two, in the middle of all these other explosions. So an overdue generational shift in leadership is happening. And every day, our politics is disrupted in huge new ways. Political explosions like when Dianne Feinstein died. But nothing will prepare us for the chaos that comes if one day we wake up to the explosive news that Trump or Biden have died. Think about it and prepare for it. Because that day will inevitably come sooner than most are prepared for. And that'll be a political explosion, the likes of which we have never seen in modern times. So we all got to stay vigilant. And a quick related note on a group and topic we've discussed before that's also truly focused on or trying to represent independence. The shady No Labels organization that Senator Joe Lieberman joined us to talk about is endorsing a candidate for speaker. They sent a call to action this week 
urging their supporters to contact members of Congress to support a deal that would elevate Republican Representative Patrick McHenry for Speaker. Now, they're picking someone who's not an independent. And they were saying that it will embrace the Semper Fi spirit of the Marine Corps, which is bullshit. No labels does not represent the Marine Corps spirit, and it doesn't represent independent Americans, as we call them on in this show and continue to call them on regularly. But it does represent yet another reason to stay vigilant and to prepare for explosions. It's okay to be afraid, but it will never be the same. It will never be the same. Now, explosions are everywhere, and it is an intense time. And I'm going to continue to bring you a mix of conversations with influential Americans and my personal takes on what's happening. But as these explosions happen, as we've always told you, that's when you need to look for the helpers the most. The helpers are out there. And I haven't played this in a bit, but now especially is a time to remember that they're out there to look for the helpers. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The explosions are popping everywhere in Ukraine, in Israel, in Gaza, in America, and in the lives of people everywhere. And our kids see all of it. And above all else, we have to protect them, especially after the pandemic, after the school shootings they still fear every day, and now more and more war. And this week I found a resource that I wanted to share with you from UNICEF called How to Talk to Your Children About Conflict and War. I have two boys, age eight and four, and this list is good for them. But after I read it, I think it might be actually good for everyone. So it's linked here in the show notes and, and on our website. Children always look to their parents for a sense of safety and security, even more so in times of crisis. So UNICEF has some tips to approach the conversation with your child and provide them with support and comfort, even if you don't have kids. It's a good way to show leadership to the young people in your life. And there's eight of them, starting with finding out what they know and how they feel, asking children what they know and how they're feeling, keeping it calm and age appropriate, spread compassion, not stigma, focus on the helpers. That was in there, and I couldn't make it up, but number four is right, and it's focus on the helpers. It's really important for kids to know, for all of us to know, that people are helping each other with acts of courage and kindness, and we're going to find positive stories such as first responders or young people calling for peace. Number five is close your conversations with care. Make sure you're not leaving a child in a state of distress. Look at their body language and their level of anxiety, how they're breathing, and remind them that you care and that you're there to listen and support when they're feeling worried. Keep checking in. This is true with kids and all loved ones in your life. And limit the flood of news. That's good for all of us. We need a break. You can't live in it. It's just too much. And 
as much as possible. You got to have positive distractions like playing a game or going for a walk. And number eight, one that's especially important for all of us, take care of yourself. You'll be able to help your kids better if you're coping too. Children pick up on your responses and it helps them to know that you are calm and in control. So stay frosty. And if you're feeling anxious or upset, take time for yourself and reach out to other family, friends, and trusted people. And just be mindful of how you're consuming all this news, all these explosions. Every one of them has a burden and can leave a mark. So get key times during the day where you can check in on what's happening, but don't make it constant. Get offline. And as much as you're able, make time to do things to help you relax and recuperate. Because this level of explosions is our new normal. So take care of yourself out there. Try to just be nice. And especially be nice to the kids right now. Because they need us now more than ever. When the explosions are happening, that's when we need the helpers the most. That's when we need the independence the most. And that's when we need you the most. Those who set a sail on told to me and I Lost my faith in everything The nice you could cope Your intentions were gold So as always, online, look for the hashtag, look for the helpers, and share yours, and I'll try to amplify them. We need them especially now. I'm still going to try to maybe bring back guests the guest when I can, but I'm going to bring you guests more often. Without intros, without all the other stuff, I'm just going to try to bring you hot conversations as often as I can. So look for them in your inbox. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And go to independentamericans.us, where you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. If you've never done it before, this is the time. And shout out to our Patreon members who are always with us. If you're one of them, you get exclusive extra content. And now you get shows first and without commercials. You'll get them the night before they drop. You'll get an alert and you'll get them with absolutely no ads. And as messed up and divided as things are on Twitter and X and social media this week, we also saw the extremes of both the left and the right are trying to flex. And they're getting a little smacked down by the middle. So as my friend and partner Chris Rosenthal noted, this really could be a time for some optimism. Maybe the partisan fever is breaking because of the extreme nature of what we're facing. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope. Maybe this moment requires it. Because the future will be an explosion of independence. 60% of young people are independent. Independents are the future. And we're not alone in our independence. America is divided again. But we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change it, to add light to contrast the heat. Our independent movement is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat. A new movement that can unite this country to meet the moment. I hope you've enjoyed this show and our last few conversations, especially with Dan Lamoth and Secretary Pete Buttigieg. If you did, please share them far and wide and invite people to declare their independence, especially now. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, and hope is the oxygen of democracy. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, 
and we're all in this together, especially as the explosions continue. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Down with Hamas. And stay vigilant, America. Explosions on the day you wake up needing somebody and you're right. It's okay to be afraid, but it will never be the same. Power. Power. Righteous Media.